Rising interest rates and falling valuations are having a huge impact on the real estate industry, with many commercial property sectors struggling post-pandemic. This is on top of significant and ongoing changes to the way occupiers see and use certain assets. So how are investors adapting and what are they prioritizing going forward? Last winter, we spoke to Mark Furman, a principal and head of real estate at investment manager Arrow Global Group, to discuss equity and debt in European residential real estate amid soaring inflation and rising interest rates. Roll on 10 months, and we thought we'd catch up with him again to see how the market has changed since. In today's special episode, sponsored by Arrow Global, Furman will explore the implications of the current interest rate environment on the European and global real estate finance market across various property sectors. We'll also discuss which areas of opportunity he's most interested in and how to navigate them. I'm Jonathan Brass, Editor-in-Chief for Real Estate at PEI Group, and this is Spotlight. Furman can speak from an investor standpoint, as well as share some insight on the current interest rate environment and the impact it's continuing to have on the European real estate finance market. So first of all, it's interesting just to look at what happened to interest rates and inflation since we last sat down at the end of last year. And when we last spoke, the Bank of England base rate, I think, was was around 3.5%. The ECB was at 2%. Since then, we've seen a number of additional rate increases. So we're now at 5% in the UK and 3.5% in the Eurozone. And all the while, inflation is only coming down very slowly, right? We've seen headline inflation come down, but core inflation is still stubbornly high. And you're now seeing, I mean, just today, we saw wage growth in the UK above expectations. And you're starting to see that inflation is actually quite sticky. And I think market participants are starting to realize that there's not going to be a quick correction in rates and the times of zero rates, you know, are for now very much in the past. And what that's primarily done to the real estate market in Europe for now is its depressed transaction volumes. With the question of when rates will normalize still outstanding, Furman says many different factors are impacting the buyer-seller dynamics so far this year, and they've really chilled the transaction market. Looking at the first quarter, European transaction volumes were down 70%. The second quarter is shaping up, you know, down about 60% year on year. So, you know, it's looking like when in a given normal year before this correction, something like 300 billion euros of commercial real estate changed hands in Europe on, on average will now be you know, well below 200. And that's driven by a number of factors, right? It's driven by some owners are not willing to sell below their purchase price or their book value. Some owners can't sell because the selling would not generate enough proceeds to repay the debt. And buyers, of course, are uncertain about what happens to yields. What is the impact of this longer period of higher rates on the real economy? That is what everyone seems to be asking. Last time Furman was here, he discussed how firms must make moves to adapt and get transactions done amid the macroeconomic background caused by these rising interest rates. But with prices falling across multiple sectors since then, managers with dry powder need to think about the changing way they go about identifying investment opportunities. We've seen some of the ideas that I described in the last podcast come to fruition in the last six months, right? In light of higher yields, higher financing costs, meaning we had to restructure the acquisition. One particular example, you know, we ended up taking out the lowest yielding asset and leaving that with the owner to get a higher yielding residual portfolio, which then meant we didn't need to borrow, you know, the returns were good enough to make the acquisition unlevered. And that's one thing that I'm seeing is increasingly something that private equity managers are thinking about, right? If you were a generic real estate private equity investment 
in 2021 European logistics portfolio, you would tend to get 65 to 70 percent advance rate financing at somewhere between 200 and 300 basis points over Euribor. Euribor was negative, generally floored at zero. So you had 65, 70 percent of your capital stack financed inside of 3 percent. If you're now out trying to borrow, advance rates have come down, right? So you may be at, you know, 50, 55 you could maybe stretch to 60% advance rate financing. Your margin is up, so you're looking at three to 400 basis points of margin. And then your base rates, depending on if you're in the UK or in Europe, are anywhere from 2 to 4%. So your total borrowing cost has increased to anywhere from you know 5 to 7%. At the same time, lenders have become more risk-averse. So you know, certain types of assets, you know, if they're transitional, if they're not income-producing, if they have a big office component, you know, they're sometimes not financeable at all. Furman also highlighted that people are becoming more aware of the fact that rates are not going to drop in the near term. I've seen many transactions where you say, okay, yeah, I changed the pricing a bit and then it works for me unlevered because I'm earning a high enough current income and my, you know, my unlevered return maybe is a 12, 13, 14, 15 and then with some leverage in the future as markets hopefully normalize, I can get back to my opportunistic level. So that's one tool I'm seeing. And I'm also seeing increasingly more price discovery, right, where if you look at forward rates now out to 2027, 2028, short-term rates are expected to stay north of 3%, both in Europe and in the UK. In the UK, they're actually expected to stay closer to 4%. So I think there's widespread realization that the old low-rate times are not coming back anytime soon. And so these price decreases that we talked about last time that were largely theoretical, right, where we, you know, said valuations are down for certain asset classes, 30, 35%, and the public markets imply those kinds of declines. Those theoretical value decreases are increasingly reflected in actual transactions where owners, for a number of reasons, capitulate and actually transact at those lower prices. Arrow specializes in opportunistic real estate investments across Europe, but Furman also identifies some strategies and investment opportunities on a global scale and differences between regions. Of course, a number of our investors are based overseas. Some of our senior partners are based in the US. And so yeah, we have a decent perspective. I'm always interested. I worked in the US for 10 years. I'm always interested in comparing and contrasting what's happening. One of the big differences between Europe and the US has been the supply response to the economic recovery after the global financial crisis. In the US, the economy recovered quickly growth was robust again by you know, 2011, 2012, and developers started building again. They built apartments, they built hotels, they built office buildings. And as a result of that, the US market is more exposed to volatility of a correction now, right? So by contrast, you look at um, Europe, before the global financial crisis, we were building something like four or five million homes per year, every year across Europe. Following the financial crisis, that dropped to about a million, just below a million. And that number never recovered, right? We never actually started building more homes again for a number of reasons, both related to how banks finance residential development and developers historically have been very reliant on bank financing, which didn't come back after the GFC, but also related to local planning laws, which are very uh, restrictive. There are situations, regardless of where we are in a cycle, that will arise and can be capitalized on. For instance, when something goes wrong with a property or capital structure, Furman draws on some contemporary scenarios where managers like him can provide a solution to parties involved. 
the kind of typical case study is a pension fund owns an office building. It's been leased to the same tenant for 20 years. That tenant finally decides to leave. The pension fund is not well equipped to reposition the asset. Maybe the asset needs to be converted to some other use. And that's kind of one of the quintessential use cases for opportunistic real estate capital and real estate turnaround skill sets. In the current environment where there's been, on one side, a precipitous drop in real estate values, and on the other end, we should remember that COVID has accelerated a number of secular changes to how real estate is used, starting with how we use offices, demand for logistics driven by the spike in e-commerce, how we shop, travel preferences, right? So that's also one of my favorite statistics, right, is that short haul and medium distance leisure travel fully recovered and exceeded pre-COVID levels in 2022 whereas long-haul travel remains at a fraction of pre-COVID levels, right? And what that's meant in Europe is that there's been a tremendous spike in demand for hotels. And so we're in a very unique moment where we have all the usual drivers of opportunistic real estate investment opportunities. We have the COVID overhang of secular change in the business. And then on top of that, we have the interest rate-driven correction of value, right? So the addressable universe for investors like me has suddenly become multiples larger than it was before in 2019, 2018. Likewise, you have a lot of what I might call stressed secondary fund selling, right? So in the five years before COVID, private equity investors spent in excess of $500 billion, half a trillion dollars is an astonishing number, on European real estate investments. And many times those business plans were disrupted by COVID, and exit values are now impacted by interest rates. Refinancings are impacted by interest rates. The market for continuation funds is more or less closed because those capital providers can now buy secondary stakes at discounts, which was kind of their traditional business. So we're seeing already an increase in that activity. The investing landscape has changed significantly over the past few years, which can cause issues and risks for managers. For instance, in terms of identifying the correct assets to invest in. When trying to capitalize on discounted assets, they have to avoid grabbing for falling knives. I mean, there's no doubt that there's a lot of risk in the world at the moment. We have yet to see the impact of higher interest rates on the real economy. If you think about the UK, the vast majority of residential mortgages is on short-term interest rates, so a lot of resetting is going to happen over the next two years. It impacts demand for residential because consumers are less wealthy. It impacts demand for office because corporations have to save and therefore downsize and therefore need less space. There's some reason to expect that that in particular will be exacerbated by the fact that corporates now have remote working as another cost-saving tool. Retailers tend not to do well in recession. That tends to impact demand for retail real estate. Even Amazon, if you, you, know, if you think about logistics, is planning to cut back their logistics footprint, having somewhat overexpanded in the COVID period. And so in general, there's lots of reason to be cautious. And then the way I think about it is, depending on the asset class, there's a different risk appetite and there's almost like an expanding circle of what's an acceptable risk profile given an attractive situation and an attractive base case return. So for example, we're probably most concerned about offices and so we're most restrictive in how we look at office deals and there's probably only a very, very small number of assets in very prime locations that are stabilized with good tenants that would be considered, you know, not a falling knife at the moment. 
Retail and office are sectors that many investors understand will require some careful attention. Other property types may prove a safer bet across the board. On the other hand, something that we see as relatively defensive is premium for sale residential because of the extreme scarcity of that product, the fact that buyers typically aren't reliant on bank financing in the same way as with lower quality product. And because we've seen through our portfolio of mortgages that we service that that actually has performed relatively well. So our risk appetite for that is greater than, you know, other asset classes fall somewhere in between, right, on retail. We are similarly skeptical as on office, on logistics, we're, you know, relatively constructive, on high quality hospitality, we're relatively constructive because we see that secular change that happened during COVID with a movement back to short haul, medium haul holidays as opposed to long haul. We see that as a permanent phenomenon. We also see the priority of experiences that the next generation seems to express. We see that as something that's here to stay, right? So I think there's reason to be optimistic on hospitality. And so it's ultimately always a case-by-case analysis, but for each asset class, there's a slightly different macro overlay that we take into account. So with secular trends like the changing consumer behavior and the impact of remote and hybrid work policies, there are some things that owners can do to make their assets more attractive to buyers. Thurman says this usually starts from a location perspective, but space use is another area to tackle when looking to future-proof real estate investments. And this is particularly relevant when considering offices at the moment. So the things that still seem to work well are mixed-use locations where you have a balance of residential, retail, hotel and office. I think nobody wants to go anymore to a suburban business park where you you have only your office building and you have to drive 10 minutes to the nearest shopping center or restaurant. So I think that's an essential part of it. Sustainability, both in terms of attracting tenants and ultimately selling the investment is key and is an increasing focus. So that's something that you have to really think about. And then amenities really matter, right? So end of trip facilities are now, you know, almost a non-negotiable, right? So you have to provide bike racks and shower facilities and that sort of thing. Likewise, having you know, a building providing flexible meeting space, shared common space is something that's really attractive because I think most companies are experiencing fluctuating demand levels where certain days the office is very busy. Or maybe once a quarter you have a board meeting or an executive meeting where you need more space and some buildings that can accommodate that kind of fluctuation um, and help tenants balance this changing demand is something that's also in demand. So there are a number of ways in which you can future-proof office buildings if you're starting in the right location. But there's also a certain type of you know, office building that is in the same way that uh, you know, the Americans for the past 20 years have been tracking dead malls. It's really difficult to see how you repurpose them. I think there will be certain business parks that will have a similar fate. Repurposing existing assets is something Arrow Global is taking very seriously, with several adaptive reuse projects already underway. In Milan, we're working on a number of office to residential conversions as the office market really concentrates on a small number of prime locations, but the shortage of residential assets is a citywide phenomenon. And in Dublin, we're working at the moment on a pilot to repurpose obsolete office buildings into life sciences, and we've developed really quite a lot of intellectual property around the right way to do it. It's not totally straightforward because, you know, the buildings need to have the right ceiling heights the right amount of load-bearing capacity. They need to be close to university or hospital or you know some kind of life science industry cluster. But where it works, it can really be a powerful way to transform a, you know, an otherwise obsolete asset into something that has a second life. And that's something that, you know, having done it successfully in Dublin, we're now looking to roll out in a number of other markets, including London, Amsterdam, Lisbon, and Milan. Transaction volume has remained low throughout the first half of this year and is unlikely to rebound in the second half. 
In fact, Furman thinks there's still room for transaction totals to fall even further, especially outside of the hospitality and residential sectors. So I wouldn't be surprised if we find that 2023 as a whole is 50% down from 2022 in terms of transaction volume. Just because of the magnitude of the value decline, the fact that many borrowers and banks are actually well capitalized and have time to work through difficult situations, I'm not expecting a massive resurgence in transaction activity anytime soon. I expect that residential is going to continue to perform relatively well in light of the extreme scarcity that we've seen, especially in the premium sector. But I think that will happen as landlords try to pass through higher capital costs through rent increases and at the same time consumers struggle with affordability. I think there'll be more and more pressure. And we're seeing this already right in Berlin. There's talk again about expropriating big institutional landlords in Amsterdam, Dublin. There are various initiatives to impose more affordable housing on owners. So I think that will be a theme. And then it will be interesting to watch how in the near term, how resilient the hospitality sector continues to be. I was very worried going into this year that we would see a quick correction of 2022 revenge travel. That so far is not materializing. But I think even if the secular trend continues to deliver growth in European hospitality, I think we might see some bumps in income next year and the year after. Furman notes that rates are likely to drop, but not to level seen prior to COVID anytime soon and will continue to adapt to changing trends in the months and years ahead. My expectation is that you know, rates will be lower than they are today, but not back to the zero levels that we had before the pandemic for a number of reasons. Right? I think there are a number of longer term inflationary forces at work that you have to think about. Right? Everything from you know, deglobalization to the impact of eventually rebuilding Ukraine to you know, a persistent labor shortage as um, you know, populations age in, in Europe. So I think both nominal and real rates will not be back to where we had them two years ago anytime soon. I think economies will adjust to that. Most of uh, modern economic history, you know, we didn't have zero rates. I think the housing shortage is something that will continue to occupy us in a number of different ways. I mean, really, in none of the countries I visit has there been meaningful progress towards solving this planning nimbyism. That's really the number one constraint to building more houses. So I think that will continue to be a theme. I think the office will have a new equilibrium where investors um, and occupiers are clear on how they use the office, how much they use the office, how much space they need. The, while at the moment only the very prime part of the office market is liquid, I, I think liquidity will return to a broader range of facets. I suspect logistics will have continued to grow, right? If you look at it on a per capita basis in Europe today, we're only at 50% of the warehouse space that the US has. It's a difficult comparison in many ways, but I think the right proportion is definitely not two to one. So I think that will continue to be a robust source of growth. And I think high quality, experience driven tourism will continue to be a growth story as the uh, generation Z matures and acquires more disposable income and you know imposes the need for uh, Instagrammable moments on the uh, global tourism industry. Finding the right situations, the deals that match the right capital and skill sets, and picking the right kinds of future-proof assets are what opportunistic managers like Furman are expected to do. There are lots of opportunities for investors as funds and banks look to exit, and it sounds like the market will remain resilient in the near term for high-quality residential and logistics in certain markets, as well as hospitality assets as local leisure travel continues to rebound. That's all for today. Thanks again to Mark Furman of Arrow Global Group. If you want to hear more episodes of Spotlight, you can check us out wherever you listen to podcasts or at any of PEI Group's various titles online, including PEIRENews.com. 
I'm Jonathan Brass. Thanks for listening.